Good afternoon, Acadiana. This is Joe Cunningham here on News Talk 965, the Joe Cunningham Show. Back again today, and what a day it's been so far. A lot of a lot more talk on Ukraine, Russia. A lot of talk on uh, banning books, even here in Lafayette. We'll get to all of that, but first, I want to kind of explain what is irritating Democrats today. And it's simply pointing out that the only time Vladimir Putin invades Ukraine is when Joe Biden is in the executive branch. Remember Crimea during the Obama administration. Vladimir Putin, playing the way he plays, was able to take a portion of Crimea and make inroads into Ukraine. Joe Biden was vice president then. Today, Joe Biden is the president. And Putin feels comfortable taking even more of Ukraine, expanding his sphere of influence. The left gets really, really mad when you point out that supposed noted lapdog of Putin, Donald Trump, never once faced a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Why is that? Well, for starters, Trump was unpredictable. And you don't risk military conflict with somebody who was unpredictable. And Putin knew that. But there's more to it. I've had this theory. I think I've mentioned it on the air before. Maybe not on this show, but when I've been on uh, Acadiana's Morning News, I know I've mentioned it probably for Winging It Wednesday somewhere down the some, somewhere at some point. I've always had this theory that when Trump was in office, there were essentially three Trumps. The first and most recognizable one is Trump the Twitter account. That's the public face, the public speaking, the guy who says whatever comes to mind 85% of the time it's a personal attack against an opponent type guy. That's the, the, the type of talk, the type of rhetoric that turned a lot of people off, turned a lot of moderates off, okay? It was the less favored side of Trump, the unscripted, the just out there, in your face, says what he wants type Trump. Then you had Trump, the president, the guy who was doing the job, learning the job while on the job, and actually, as president, became better. Just Trump, the Twitter account, would be in the way sometimes. And then you had Trump the administration. Trump the administration gets no credit whatsoever. Trump the administration actually did a lot of good things. There were a lot of things that came from Trump the administration, the people who were running the show for Trump. They did a lot of things conservatives liked. For example... They were tougher on abortion. They passed rules and regulations on abortion. They passed rules and regulations, rolling back Obama-era regulations, getting people back to work. These were some things that helped lend, uh, lead to a better economy. And for all of his faults, whether or not you agree with the immigration thing, Trump specifically hired people that would do what his base wanted, and his base wanted something done about immigration. So he hired people like Stephen Miller, who talked tough on immigration, not somebody I agree with most of the time on immigration, but somebody who was tough on it, who would be working on the policies that Trump's base wanted. Trump was fiercely devoted to his base. They put him in office, and he wanted to give them thanks for it. 
So he was pushing for things that his base wanted. Trump, the administration, pushed sanctions on Russia. Were tough, they were tough on dictators across the globe. Sometimes they misstepped. But when it came to Russia, they were actually pretty tough. And Russia did not pull any antics when Trump was in charge. The, I'm convinced that Putin's plans for Ukraine started forming after the 2020 election, but really got underway in mid to late August of this year. What happened? The Afghanistan withdrawals. I'm, I say this year, I'm thinking school year. In August of 2021, when the U.S. botched its withdrawal of Afghanistan, Putin realized that it was amateur hour for U.S. foreign policy and U.S. military. And he could get together all of his folks and start his plans to expand Russia's influence and start rebuilding, essentially, the boundaries of the Soviet Union. See, Putin couldn't do that if the U.S. was going to be run competently. And the U.S. was actually run fairly competently under Trump, the administration. The left doesn't like you say that. The left pushed out and gave a lot more airtime to these conspiracies of Trump being Putin's lapdog, of Trump being uh, a traitor, the collusion stuff, all of that. They gave that a lot more air than it deserved. The Steele dossier, they gave that a lot more air than it deserved. We know now just how full of garbage that was. But Putin didn't pull this stuff when Trump was in charge. But as soon as Biden showed his hand and revealed he was not going to be a strong foreign leader, Putin started laying out his plans. See, Putin never had to worry about Europe. He never had to worry about Western Europe. They're all pretty soft. Again, yesterday, France expressed disappointment. Germany expressed disappointment in Russia's actions. Germany finally took action on the Nord Stream 2. Far too late. Everything's underway now. There's nothing to dissuade Putin from going on. Europe was never a threat to Russia, but the U.S. getting involved was a threat, so Putin had to play it safe. And the moment that the United States military and the United States intelligence agencies and the United States executive branch screwed up in withdrawing troops from Afghanistan and letting that country fall to the Taliban in a matter of days, that's when he knew. The left does not like you pointing this out. Matthew Dowd, who is firmly on the left, although he was uh, an advisor to George W. Bush, actually tweeted out something along the lines of today. I, I saw somebody quoted what he was saying. I couldn't see it because he blocked me a long time ago because I called him a fake Christian. But he actually said, if you believe, if you look at the Russia-Ukraine situation, you think this is Biden's fault, go ahead and replace your American flag with a U.S. flag so we know who you are. And it's not just him. On the left, the talking point is, if you think this is Biden's fault, you're a Russian asset. You don't actually know what you're talking about. Because, again, everything is Trump's fault. 
That's all they have. Remember, Obama whined about the state of the economy when he came into office. It was all Bush's fault. Everything was Bush's fault. The fact that Obama didn't do anything that helped didn't matter. It was all Bush's fault. Everything was the previous administration's fault. Biden, same thing here. Everything is the previous administration's fault. Except the American public isn't buying it anymore. Let's talk about that in a minute. 232-1542. If you want to join in the conversation, we'll have all that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. when we come back. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. If you want to follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, you can. Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Uh, you can also email me joe at redstate.com if you just want to send me a private message. That's fine. But let's get to the real reason you're all here. A lot of you are at home or in your car and you say, Joe, we know how you feel about the Ukraine situation. There's more important news. We need to know what Cardi B thinks of the Russia-Ukraine situation. And it's true. The rapper known as Cardi B, former stripper, I think, rapper, is also apparently somebody who opines on the economic and foreign policy issues of the day. I'm not really on NATO's side, she said in a video posted to Twitter. I'm not really on Russia's side. I'm actually in the citizen's side because at the end of the day, the world is having a crisis right now. The 29-year-old entertainer's remarks came a day after she responded to a Twitter user asking her to weigh in on this whole Russia thing. Wish these world leaders would stop tripping. Okay, hang on. Wish these world leaders stopped tripping about power and really think about who's getting affected, citizens. Besides, the whole world is in a crisis, Cardi B said. War, sanctions, invasion should be the last thing these leaders should worry about. Inflation is not only in America, but everywhere in the world. It's really hard to get the economy back up. These are all things said by Cardi B a rapper who has risen to fame in the United States. And what's so important, the reason I read this all to you, is that what she has to say on the issue is more coherent than what the Biden administration has been saying this whole time. I would take a Cardi B presidency over a Joe Biden presidency. And I'm not being sarcastic about that. I think I would prefer that if she is saying these things, because she is actually right. It is about the citizens. Now, the governments around the world do have to play some part in this and try to figure out how to fix some of the problems that the Biden administration has allowed to happen. But overall, Cardi B is right. And I know that you guys really wanted to know that. Now, here's the thing about everything going on and the inflation thing that she mentioned and this whole Russia mess going on and everything that's going on right now. Emerson has a poll that came out today. Now, Emerson's not a great poller. At some point, I need to play the, the, the clip on that explains polling perfectly, but that's not today. Um, Emerson is not a great pollster. It's not a great outlet, but it's following the trends. You know what the trends are right now? Emerson, in following the trends, has Joe Biden's approval at 42 to 50. 42% approval, 50% disapproval. Maybe more than 50%. But here's the kicker. 
in a general ballot, they have the Republican Party up plus nine. That doesn't happen. That's beyond Gingrich Revolution. That is beyond 2010. You do not see GOP plus nine very often. Everything is shaping up to be bad for the Biden administration, and it's only going to get worse. The Federal Reserve is considering about a half point increase to interest rates. What happens when you raise interest rates typically is a recession. You, you typically have at least a mini recession when you start raising the rates. But they have no choice. The value of the dollar has plummeted. Inflation is on the rise. While you have inflation on the rise, you now have to, you basically have to raise the rates. Raising the rates does a couple things. One, it starts adding value back to the American dollar. It also is a sign that there are, in a good, in a good economic situation, raising interest rates is a signal of the strength of the American economy. And right now, the American economy needs some signs of strength. You cannot keep rates as low as they have been, as long as they have been, and the U.S. economy really not suffer for it. It's one of the things about Donald Trump, actually, I, I really did disagree with, was his open hostility to the Federal Reserve anytime they contemplated raising the rates. He actually wanted to pressure the Fed to keep rates low. And you want rates to go up in a good economic time because it shows strength in the economy. Now, right now, the economy is still incredibly slow. A favorable January jobs report helps. But overall, prices are still higher than they had been for, have been for a while. But basically, the Fed has held rates so low that now it's impossible to keep them low any longer. You have to start raising the rates. You have to start putting some value back into the American dollar. So what you're going to have is inflation, because simply raising the rates is not going to turn off inflation. Inflation will still be there. It may start to get better, but it's still going to be there. So you're going to have inflation, raising rates, and a recession all at the same time. And this isn't something that just goes away immediately. This is something that lasts, and it will carry... The U.S. economy will carry the Democrats, the Biden administration, through the midterm elections. At the same time, you have Republicans who, for whatever reason, have decided that right now what we need to be concerned about is going too far on abortion. Bill Kristol, who is absolutely still a conservative and is no way a Democrat, despite the fact that he's been advocating for Democrats to win over the last five years, is tweeting out, he actually tweeted out today, um, National Republican Senatorial Committee Chair Rick Scott's 11-point plan for a Republican Congress. Point nine asserts unborn babies are babies and abortion takes a human life. This surely implies a federal law banning abortion. House and GOP Senate candidates, are you for this? He's asking if Republicans really want to be tied to restrictions on abortions. Ahead of the midterm elections. 
Bill Kristol was a part of the GOP for decades when this was part of the party platform. Absolutely are the Republicans for this, and absolutely should they continue to be for it. It is the right thing to do. But more importantly, this follows what a lot of other Republicans are talking about in the background. Axios, back in December, had this story. One longtime GOP political operative put it to Axios, it's one big flare-up that could derail what could be a 2010-level victory next year for the party and the movement. There are Republicans so worried about people liking them that they want to ease up on the abortion talk. This happens every, by the way, every election cycle where the Republicans are about to do good, there's always some Republicans and always some consultants that start whispering out, I don't know, maybe you guys should ease up on the abortion thing. Because they're so terrified that people are going to hate them for it. But real quick, before we hit this break, I have to tell you a secret nobody talks about. When Terry McAuliffe ran against Ken Cuccinelli back in 2013 for Virginia governor, McAuliffe was attacking Cuccinelli for being too far right on abortion. But Cuccinelli's campaign, which was struggling because uh, the Republican Governors Association wouldn't give him any money, Cuccinelli's campaign ran a robocall to voters right before the election and talked about how extreme McAuliffe was on abortion, how far left he was on abortion. And some, uh, some uh, polling right after that election showed that that's what narrowed the gap. That's what made the race ultimately so narrow between McAuliffe and Cuccinelli. 232-1542, if you want to come, if when we come back, we're going to talk about banning books here in Lafayette. You can call and be part of that conversation here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation. But in this segment, I feel like I'm going to make just about every side of the issue mad. Last night's library board meeting. First of all, let me just say that it wasn't until I moved down here that library boards proved themselves to actually be entertaining outlets. Of public meetings. Last night's featured an arrest, an attempted book banning, and actually another issue that also I care about a lot. So let's address those. Yes, there was an activist that was arrested. And yes, that person was probably looking to get arrested or at least, you know, very publicly accosted by law enforcement and the, the powers that be over it in order to raise awareness for their cause. Um, you're disrupting a, a public meeting like that over and over. You're looking for that level of attention. Secondly, one of the issues that they were very vocal about is the issue of a, a library branch on the north side, which is desperately needed. A library is needed on that side of town, and I believe the vote was to get some land and build a new library. Yes. And basically Holy family uh, rosary has committed to giving that land only if it's used for a library. Yeah. So I'm glad that that progress has been made. However, the need is very immediate. And I know the, the, the board was essentially voting in either or either we lease something or we build something. 
And I get the feeling that would be a whole lot smarter to lease something now temporarily while something is being built, enter into a a relatively short contract for that just to lease something out while something is being built. I realize that funding is probably tight and you can't necessarily do that, but there needs to be something for kids on the north side who need access, not just to the books, but to the internet access it provides, the activities it provides, every all the assistance that the libraries offer. They need that desperately on that side of town. And I say that as somebody who teaches on that side of town and who interacts with a lot of kids from that side of town who really, really need access to books, computers, things like that. They don't necessarily have that at home. However, the issue, and I wrote commentary and put this up on kpl965.com today. The the issue that really is kind of sticking with me all through today, and it's, it's a broader issue that I know needs to be addressed, is the issue of removing a book from a library, be it a school library, public library, whatever. And that was one of the topics of conversation last night. Uh, a book, uh, The V Word by uh, Amber J. Kaiser. Here's a description of the book. The V Word pulls back on the pulls back the sheets on sex, queer and straight, relished and regretted, funny and exhilarating. Were it written in contemporary times, it would likely be included in an interesting article about corona and sex at uh, Restricted 21, but it still stands out regardless. The 17 women in the book write about first-time sex, hot, meaningful, cringeworthy, gross, forgettable, magnificent, empowering, and transformative. As this As an article explains, sexual experiences are far too often censored in the media. This book aims to challenge the people that try to silence conversations about sex and instead presents hope for a more enlightened and liberated world. I fully understand wanting to limit that book's availability in a place where children are. I get that. But there's never been a moment in history when people who were in favor of banning books, be it one book, be it a handful of books, be it all books, there's never been a point in history when that group of people who are pushing for that have been on the right side. Pushing to get rid of books is a dangerous precedent. There was a movement to ban Harry Potter books for a while because they were afraid that it would uh, convince kids to attempt sorcery. On the left, because this is not a partisan issue, on the left, there's almost always a war being raged against To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee or The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain because of their repeated use of racially sensitive language. And the fear is always, oh, well, it's normalizing it. Oh, it's pushing on racial stereotypes. Never mind the message behind the books far more important and actually uh, actually push against the use of those terms and those stereotypes. On the right, there's currently a push to remove books that cover a range of topics that are believed to be tied to critical race theory. Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eyes, beloved, those books uh, have some controversial themes within them that the right is very concerned about. It's a slippery slope argument. If we're removing books that offend our sensibilities, as somebody mentioned, what about the Bible? There's no end 
to the destruction that it can cause to society if we start banning one book after another because they offend somebody about something. There can be an argument made about how sexual liberation has actually been detrimental to society. And I can understand how some people want that sexual content to not be readily available to kids, but let's be real, kids have access to a lot worse a lot more easily than going to a library and finding a book. I'm also not really thrilled about the library board appearing to set itself up to be more of the arbiters of whether of what books stay or go, scrapping the old process of having multiple librarians and one board member reviewing it. Now, multiple board members and one librarian, I think is uh, that was what uh, Ian wrote on KPL 965 earlier in explaining the process. But if you're going to ban To Kill a Mockingbird, The Bluest Eyes, or whatever, over material that parents are too worried is problematic for their children, moving them from school or public school libraries isn't going to protect anyone from anything. There's a lot of material out there floating on the internet that corrupts far more thoroughly than presenting uh, racism, incest, rape, those things in a well-written book. It's not reading the V word that's going to make a child sexually active. If a child is reading it, chances are they already are sexually active and they are looking for some language that can put their experience into words. And I'm not advocating, by the way, that any kids read these books. I think that this is largely a parental control issue where parents need to be involved with what their kids are reading and more importantly, what they're taking part in and not lecturing kids or nagging them about it, but having open and frank conversations about it. There's a proper time and place for those topics to be introduced to a kid's life. But that's our job as parents. I'm not, you know, excited about that talk coming about when my 10-year-old is, you know, a couple years older. And we're worried about what's being introduced in schools then. But it's something that we're going to have to address as parents. The move to go after books based on content, though, is a lot like that Parent Music Resource Center movement from the 80s where Tipper Gore was going after Prince and other artists for the stuff that was written about in songs. You're not actually going to affect any behavior with it. And if anything, you're going to convince kids, hey, this is banned, the grumps don't like it, we got to read it. You know what you can still find in your libraries that nobody ever really tries to ban? The book It. Um, Stephen King's original, the book It. Do you know what's in there? There is a sex scene. There is an orgy between the 12 and 13-year-old kids in the book. Very poorly written. Stephen King cannot write sex scenes to save his life. It wasn't presented in the movies. Nobody really knows about it because nobody ever thinks about the book when they think about it. They only think about the movies. But it was in there. It's controversial, but nobody ever really talks about that or tries to ban that from school libraries. Book banning, though, politically has been a tool of political regimes. They're interested in controlling people, what people have access to, what people think. It's a slippery slope, folks. I'm not a fan of it. We need to have open and frank conversations about the content in our community libraries, sure. But moving to remove those books completely is a dangerous precedent. 232-1542, if you want to join the conversation, want to respond to anything I've just said or anything I've said today, we're going to talk about a little bit more when we come back from the break here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad to be with y'all today. Jeremy Bash, ex-Defense Department Chief of Staff tells MSNBC, I have never seen a U.S. government team as agile and as focused as this Biden team is in declassifying intelligence and calling out Russia's activities. 
yes, the Biden administration is really good at saying words. Well, not Biden himself. He actually stumbled and slurred his way through the speech today. I don't know if you got to listen to clips of that. But it's 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 to the point. And my uh, one of my colleagues at Red State, um, Nick Arama, actually points this out. Even MSNBC hosts are now pointing out questions about Biden's ability. Um, we've got, let's see, uh, Andrea Mitchell at MSNBC, longtime host there, is pointing out about how defensive Biden is about his foreign policy ability. Mitchell added that Biden feels defensive about criticism of his foreign policy performance. Notably, Robert Gates, the former defense secretary under President Obama, said that Biden has been wrong or nearly wrong on every major foreign policy national security issue over the past four decades. I actually think Joe Biden has a great deal of ego and a great deal of confidence in the foreign policy ability and gets very defensive about some of the criticism from his past from people like Bob Gates, the former defense secretary who described him very coldly and critically, Mitchell said. She continued, I don't think he sees himself being tested by Putin. I think he feels that he is up to the task and that it's Putin who will end up mired in Ukraine the way America was admired in Afghanistan for 20 years. So she's saying that Biden is acting very defensively. She thinks that he's going to pull through it but that he's acting very defensively, like he's unsure of himself, and he's been taking a lot of flack from Robert Gates and others over decades. But you know what? Gates is absolutely right. Biden has been out of touch with reality on every major foreign policy national security issue over the last several decades, and it's not getting any better. And as he's getting older and as he's making public statements and he's stumbling and slurring, through his speeches, and he's misstating things, and he's straight up making things up at times, it raises a lot of questions. And a lot of Democrats are nervous. And and I'm telling you, there are a lot of Democrats that are expecting to find somebody else at the top of the ticket in 2024. But who do they have? Because again, Kamala Harris is more unpopular than Biden is. Pete Buttigieg wants to be there, but he seems to have disappeared again. Nobody knows where he is. Who else do the Democrats have? You know what? Speaking of disappearances, you know who else has disappeared? Anthony Fauci. Where's that guy gone? We we went through the Omicron wave, and now the Russia stuff is happening, and Fauci disappeared. Possibly the CIA came in with a threw a black bag over his head and dragged him out of a TV studio, finally. But where's he at? We're hearing nothing on it, on, on COVID-19, right? It's, it's almost as if it disappeared. We know people are still getting sick from it. We're still getting daily numbers from news outlets, but the anchors on the news shows aren't talking about it, other than to give this data update. We've got this big, looming Russia thing. So we're focused on that. The media and the Democrats are really terrible at multitasking. They're not doing very well. Because you know what else is getting overshadowed in all of this? While the Democrats are desperate for some PR that can, really help, that can really help them and hurt the Republicans, you hear nothing about the January 6th committee. They tried to push through some Liz Cheney headlines not too long ago, but it's just being overshadowed. 
Vladimir Putin is completely overshadowing all the talking points from the Democrats. Everybody's focused on Russia right now. And the longer we're focused on Russia, the more incompetent Biden is going to look because everything that is happening is everything that everybody saw coming except apparently the Biden administration. It is mind-boggling. Now, before I go today, I will be going to St. Thomas More High School at, uh, at 6.30 today. They will be hosting the David Thibodeau Bulldogs in the first round of, of boys' basketball playoffs. I'm going, I'm supporting the Bulldogs. Uh, those of you who know me know why. So... If you're at the game tonight, don't hold it against me if you're there for STM and I'm there cheering on the Bulldogs. However, you can come up and say hi. It is important, though, that our student athletes get community support. These guys routinely lay it all on the line in whatever sport they're really passionate about. And right now, this is the biggest moment in a lot of these high schoolers' careers. The opportunity to go and play and be named the best in the state. I can tell you that tonight's game is going to be a very tough one. STM is the favorite. They're the number four seed. David Thibodeau is the number 11 seed. But I know David Thibodeau has great defense. I am biased, but I know they generally have a really solid defense, and they have some players that can really show up. And STM has to show up to make sure that they don't get upset. It's always the higher-ranked teams, by the way. You think that it's, the, that it's going to be an easy night for them because of the, the seeding difference, but really they're the ones with something to prove. STM has to justify their ranking. David Thibodeau is going to go in and, with all their might, going to try to make it, uh, try, to, try, try to show up and say, hey, we deserve to be a higher seed. STM's got to put the work in. Now, again, they're the favorite. And you're going to see that across all of the playoff games tonight and tomorrow, and I think some that were even scheduled for Thursday. If you have a kid, grandkid, whatever, in one of these schools playing basketball and they're in the playoffs right now, go out and support them. These kids need your support. If you support your community high schools, go support these kids. They need that support. Thank you guys very much for listening today here to the Joe Cunningham Show. If you want to follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, follow me on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. If you missed any portion of the show or want to go back and listen to older episodes of the show, you can go find the podcast version on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcast. If you're not a podcast listener... You should go subscribe to this podcast and all the other podcasts from shows on this station, including Offsides coming up next, Katiana's Morning News, uh, Moon's, Moon's Got a Podcast. Every show is available in podcast form, so please go and check those out and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review my podcast on any of those platforms. We will talk to you guys again in 23 hours, hopefully with a victory in basketball that I can celebrate.